Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome back to a Mind on My Money podcast uh, hosted by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, this is your co-host, Martin Palomo. Uh, Neil is off today. He is having some technical issues at his house. Uh, the Wi-Fi is out, and he has a serviceman on the way, so he will not be joining us today. Uh, but we do have Stacy joining us uh, as an additional co-host, and our guest today is Marshall Ramsey. Uh, we're going to get to Marshall in just a few minutes, um, but first I wanted to let you know that this show is presented by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, Pinnacle Trust is a wealth management firm based in Madison, uh, started uh, a little more than 20 years ago by our founder, Stacy Wall. Um, one of the things that Stacy had a vision for when he first started the company was um, getting uh, the, our clients and uh, the firm on the same side of the table. So, you know, a lot of folks were used to doing business where uh, you would go in and uh, someone would make a trade or, or do a transaction for you and you paid them for the trade or transaction and that was it. Um, you know, they didn't service along the way. Uh, Stacy had an idea to uh, align our interests together so that when our clients enjoy good times in a, in a good market, uh, the, the company does as well. But then also in times like now when, you know, markets have fallen, uh, you know, we're in the same boat. So the goal is to protect and to grow our clients' investments, uh, and that protects and grows our company. Uh, so if, you know, you haven't heard from your advisor in the last six, seven weeks. Uh, I know a lot of them have been very scared. We are in kind of crazy, very confusing times. Uh, this would be a great time to give us a call, 601-957-0323. Uh, we've been able to use our technology and leverage the ability to keep fresh information in front of our clients uh, as much as possible, whether it's you know through this podcast, uh, through our updates, or uh, through written uh, communication and phone calls. Uh, we think that servicing through hard times is, is really what's going to set us apart from different firms. So uh, if you haven't heard from your person or you've been doing it yourself and your stomach is in knots because of the wild ride, um, give us a call, 601-957-0323. You can also reach us through email at info at pinntrust.com. Uh, we're really active on social media, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram, you can search for us either through at Pinnacle Trust or the Mind on My Money podcast. And if you mentioned that you found us on the podcast or the Oxford Exxon podcast, uh, we will give you a 10% discount on your first year's fees. So 601-957-0323 or info at PINNTrust.com. Uh, Marshall, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you. It was, um, it was tough. I actually had to get up and get a shower this morning. I haven't, you know. <laughs> well, I'm going to no comment on my side. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this, I'm now a month and a half into wearing shorts every single day. You know, it's I like, love this new normal. If for, for our work attire, it's like every day is Saturday, right? 
That's right. Just change the shirt, look <laughs> nice up top, but it doesn't matter the rest. That's right. No, pretty- no one can smell you through the screen. Thanks be to God. <laughs> well, Marshall, um, thanks for joining us today. I know, uh, so you are now the editor-at-large uh, at Mississippi Today. There's a story behind that as well, uh, which we'll get to. And I'm really excited to kind of have your personality as well on the show to kind of talk about, um, you know, there is the health crisis that we're having. And then there's also, a, you very eloquently put it in our pre-show conversation, there's there's two curves. There's the, the COVID curve and, and then the anxiety curve uh, at home. And I, I think we're going to kind of address all of those things. But um, before we get cranked up, tell us a little bit of your story. You know, it doesn't have to go into super long details, but just kind of uh, you know, for the folks that I can't imagine there's anyone out there that doesn't know Marshall Ramsey, you're a kind of a local hero, uh, a local celebrity, um, kind of get, tell us your story a little bit. I know you're not from Mississippi, but you now claim us, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. When you first invited me on the podcast, I was thinking you probably want Dave Ramsey. Um, <laughs> we can talk about him too. <laughs> I mean, he's my cousin. <laughs> That's right. I mean, Hell, I, I mean, I could give you my son's name, David. I could throw him on there. I mean, my dad was named Dave. I could probably um, not. Thank you for having me on. And like Absolutely. I said, this is, this is just nice to talk to somebody other than my family. <laughs> I mean, I love my family. Don't get me wrong. But it's like after six weeks, it's like we're scorpions in bottles. So yeah, they're ready to throw you out. You know, I, I, my dad was Dave Ramsey also. Um, he's who my cousin's named after. And I remember walking up to him when I was eight years old and I said, I want to be an editorial cartoonist, which was the weirdest thing that an eight-year-old could probably say to a dad. I mean, if I'd have said, hey, I want to play quarterback or I want to be a pitcher or something like that, I think that would have been more normal. But I had grown up reading Mad Magazine and my family would sit around the dinner table talking about Watergate and Jimmy Carter and all this stuff because we lived in Georgia. And I just loved the cartoons on the editorial page with the big teeth for Jimmy Carter and all that stuff. And I, and I wanted to do that. And So I looked at him and said, I'm going to do it. And my dad gave me an answer that is why I'm sitting here talking to you today. He could have just said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, which would have been probably the right answer. But he looked at me and he said, you're going to be the best one ever. I don't know. I'm not. And I've come close on some awards and it's been great. And I've had a great career. But that man lit a fire in me that day that has really helped me get through a lot of obstacles and a lot of discouragement. Because even though I may have a lot of doubt up here, yeah. I know I can do stuff down here. And, and that's what really lit my fire. I did it through, I started doing it for the high school paper, got sent to the principal's office. I knew I was onto something. <laughs> I did it into college. I graduated with honors. I had all kinds of awards for my work from college. Ended up as a high school janitor at Pope High School in Marietta, Georgia. Um, for six months, I threw a pity party. I was literally like a fart in an elevator. Nobody could get away from me. You know, they didn't want to be around me, but they were trapped. And then I went to church, which is important. And um, the preacher was talking about the parable of the talents. And I realized I was the servant who was bearing my talent. And, and I went in the next day with a good attitude. They drug tested me immediately. Because they <laughs> but I started drawing everything I could draw. And it was like doors started opening. And, you know, you and I talked, we talked a little bit in the pre thing and we're going through a really tough time right now. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I was getting my car worked on the friend of mine's manager of the car dealership. And I mean, I've never seen him have that kind of uncertainty in his voice that he had, you know, he's like, we may run, you know, the cars, we may run out of cars. We may run out of parts. We may run out. We've got to social distance our people. 
you know, we're still getting customers in, but it's a new normal. And <clears throat> I think, you know, what we're going to talk about today, there's a lot of things I think with the anxiety, what we got to deal with our family, because as leaders in our, in our household, which I struggle with sometimes, sure. I'm very lucky to be married to somebody who's really strong, who can, who can tell me to suck it up when I need to, you know, but we are at a time right now where we've got to make a decision. Are we going to come out of this broken? Or are we going to come out of this stronger? And I think that for me personally, I'm very lucky that that man that I was telling you about, my dad, really gave me um, a set of tools that I'm using right now that's going to help me. And we'll talk about that today. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's a, I'm glad you shared that story too, because it gives a, a lot of, of background on, 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 on how you got to where you are and, and, and a drive. And I think that's something that's, you know, separates a lot of, families where you have, you know, a parents who are, who are really supportive of their kids, no matter what it is, even if it's not baseball, if it's not football, if it's drawing, you know, yeah. it's, um, you know, my dad was an immigrant to this country. He was born in Cuba. Um, and you know, they played baseball and soccer, uh, you know, in Cuba. And yeah. so growing up as a kid in the, in Mississippi, um, you know, dad didn't get out in the front yard and throw the football with me. He got out in the front yard and we, you know, we, we would kick the soccer ball around and no one else on my streets were, were, was playing soccer. Um, you know, and then kind of fast forward to high school for me, I was in band, um, you know, in high school and my mother's real artsy. So the, you know, that the arts and creativity side definitely came from, from her side of the family, but you know, she had never played drums or done anything like that and but she always encouraged she bought me my first set of drums when I was 13 and my dad had passed away in an accident and uh someone told her hey get him drums and let him just take all of his anger out on the drums and I did that for about a year I beat those drums to to death and I was kind of like this is kind of cool I want to I want to learn how to play this and and she just encouraged and you know probably one of the greatest things is she didn't know how to critique me. So there was no, Hey, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You, you know, you should have done this instead of that. And she just let me grow to love, uh, what I was doing. And I mean, that's the story that I heard in your story too, that it wasn't, you know, Hey, you're going to play football. You're going to be the quarterback. You know, you got to, your elbow has to do this. Your shoulders need to be set this way. Your feet need to be set this way. He just fostered that, you know, uh, that growth and creativity and man, probably a lot of folks right now sitting at home, uh, with kids going crazy, that's probably some good advice to, you know, let them explore their desires and don't judge. Right. Them. Well, that's the thing. We're, we're at a really good time right now where we're kind of at a, you know, a kind of a giant reset. And, you know, I want to touch yeah. on, I want to give my mom some credit too, because I, I want to throw, she was an art teacher. Awesome. So, but that didn't mean she taught me anything because I wouldn't have listened to her, <laughs> right. but she always kept me with paper and pencils and encouragement. You know, my mom, my mom was an interesting woman. She had some demons and, and, and frankly, I got some quirks because of those demons, but she also was very talented and beautiful. And, and so, I mean, it's, I was just lucky. I had this really great combination. Dad played college basketball. I sucked at basketball and that had to frustrate him, but I was really good at football and he was really proud of that. So, but he's a few years ago, when he was still alive, I, I, he came down, he and mom came down to watch me speak at Millsaps. It was arts and lecture series. Awesome. And that's the first time he'd ever hear me speak. And 
I love speaking. It's probably one of my strong suits. I love doing it. And I just killed it that night. I mean, I got a standing ovation. It was great. And my dad, I could see his eyes watering. And I was like, my dad didn't cry. My dad wouldn't cry at old yeller. I mean, he just, he was not a crier, you know? He never showed that kind of emotion. But he came up to me afterwards and he said, you're the first person that I've ever known that knew what they wanted to do at eight years old and did it. And I'm so <laughs> proud of it. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, like I said, dad was, dad was not Yoda. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't like, but he taught me in really weird, bizarre ways to, to, and who I am now. And I didn't really realize a lot of it until after he passed away, he got dementia at 80 and, and lived about another couple of years. And that was really hard to watch that. But yep. at age 78, the man water skied. I mean, that just showed who he was for his life. He was always, he was not afraid to fix things. He wasn't afraid to do things. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the water skiing story. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is, this is why this is going to be pretty much the nut of where I go for the rest of the show. Awesome. So I was eight years old. Dad was 40. Dad loved to water ski. Like I mentioned, he'd been water skiing on, on Fort Loudon Lake in Tennessee since he was a little boy. And he, he wanted me to love water skiing as much as he loved water skiing. And hell, I was terrified of it, and I didn't want to do it. So one day he, he drove me out into the middle of the lake, threw me in the water, and drove away. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, here's a couple water skis. If you want and to get back like, in the boat, you're going to water ski first. And awesome. I'm like, Dad, that's cruel. Now, I got to tell you how he teach, uh, taught water skiing has been banned in 33 countries around <laughs> the globe. Okay. It was about as close to waterboarding as an eight-year-old is going to ever experience. So we got it. This boat was like a big green barge, had a hundred horsepower mercury engine on it. It didn't have a lot of pull, but it could pull me. And it pulled me up and down the river, except moron here was not smart enough to let go of the rope. So for about four hours, I drank about half the Tennessee River. And I started getting gills right here. I mean, you can probably see scars right there where I was getting gills. And you could tell he was getting frustrated, but he was still hanging with me because he really wanted to share that joy with me. So he, he looked at me and he pulled the boat around. He finally said, look, he said, we're going to try this one more time and then we're going to quit. I said, okay. So I was thinking, good, I'm out of this. So I'm sitting back there. He guns the engine. You know, I'm hit with a big cloud of, of um, two cycle oil smoke and I'll be damned if I didn't get up. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I popped up out of the water. It was a miracle. I mean, this is like Moses stuff, right? So I'm up on top of the water. And one thing I can tell you about dad, Dave Ramsey, the, the original, was that he got bored easily. And when dad got bored, he, you just know that things were about to go south because he was just, that's just how he rolled. And I could see it and I knew that something bad was about to happen and it did. Because he took the boat and he turned it as oh, tight nice. as he could into a circle. And he slung me outside the wake. Now, the boat's doing 20. I'm doing 795 yep. miles an hour. I remember <laughs> cracking the speed of sound. Now, anybody knows anything about the Tennessee River and Fort Loudon Lake is they raise and they lower the river every day to, to help control mosquitoes and to flush every bit of driftwood out into the middle of that lake. I mean, there are trees floating in the middle of this thing, and I hit one of them. I mean, I did, I probably did seven cartwheels and then the ski hit me in the back of the head. Oh man. And then my head hit the water, which was like concrete and yep. I was down. Dad being the caring, loving man pulls the boat around and I'm laying there in the water. Thankfully the, 
life vest did its job. And he doesn't say, are you okay, buddy? Are you all right? He starts poking me with the paddle. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, grab the rope. I said, what? He said, grab the rope. I said, no, I'm swimming back. You tried to kill me. He said, it's five miles. You can't swim that far. I was like, no, I'm going to swim back. He said, grab the rope. And I said, give me one good reason why I should grab the rope. He said, because you're going to get back up. And we're going to make your story about how you got back up, not how you fell down. Now, I'm going to tell everybody how you fell down, because that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. He said, but I don't want you being scared of this. And I grabbed the rope, and I got back up. And, and I tell you that because 25 years later, I'm laying in the hospital after cancer surgery. And I'm on this really, three doctors had missed my malignant melanoma. I just had half my side carved out. I'm laying there on, on this really wicked pain medicine. I don't see how people can get addicted to it, to be honest with you. This, I mean, I was having all kinds of grotesque nightmares. And I started feeling this thumping on my forehead. And it was pressure. And I thought, this is the worst side effect ever. I laid there and I opened my eyes up. And there was my dad leaning over me, poking me in the forehead with his big fat finger. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, get up. I said, no, I just had cancer surgery. I have cancer. I, I'm not. He said, get up. I said, why? He said, because we're going to make your story about how you beat cancer, not how you had cancer. And that man picked up his 200-pound son, and he literally carried me around the, the hallways of Baptist Hospital until I could move around because he had known. See, he had had cancer two years earlier. So he knew exactly what I was going through and he didn't want me laying there feeling sorry for myself. You know, my sister lost her husband to ALS and Adam was a sweetheart and that was, that was horrible. And one day she called up and she said, dad, I feel like I'm laying face down in the mud. And he said, well, roll over, <laughs> you know? And, it, and, then, and then two hours later, he was down there helping. Yeah. We're at a point right now that we're gonna to have to grab the rope. We're gonna to have to change our story about what we're going through and what we're doing. Or we're not gonna pull through this because a lot of people are scared, a lot of people are frightened. And you know, I, I've had some real hiccups in my career. I did not expect my career to go away. My dream job, the one I wanted when I was eight years old. Yeah. Um, but because it did, it opened up some avenues for a lot of things that are better. And I'm very grateful for that. But I had to first make that shift of my mind away from being scared. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and I think you've told a lot of people's stories, you know, by, you know, sharing your story too. I mean, not only with, you know, we're down and, but that doesn't mean that we're out. Right. I mean, right. you know, we, we can pull ourselves, uh, the old, the old dad story, you know, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but you know, but we can, you know, we can do that. And, I, you know, every time I think, you know, if you look at when huge events have happened that have really kind of kicked us. And when I say us, I mean like humanity, humans collectively. Like, yeah. Yep. When they, when it's kicked us on the other side, we always seem to come out better than before it's different, but it's, it's better than before, you know, and I kind of, the story I've, I've told with that is really the, um, you know, you think about depression era um, when you had, you know, elevator operators. Well, yeah. Those don't, you know, I, it's funny. I asked, I asked my oldest, he's, um, 
he's a, a 10th grader. I asked him about, you know, elevator operators. I was like, do you, you know what elevator operators are? He's like, is, you know, is that like the motherboard inside the oper in the side of the elevator? And I was like, well, yes, technically, yes, that's correct. It is the, the computer system that runs it, but there used to be a human that did that and yeah. they just got repurposed somewhere else. And, you know, I think we're going through one of those shifts right now too, where, you know, life as we know it is changing just like, you know, after nine 11 life changed, it was different, but right. we stepped forward, you know? And I, I think that's one of the great things about America is we do that. We, we, we all in times of crisis, we help each other out. That's completely evident, you know, today, um, you know, you see people that are, uh, really stepping up and taking leadership roles, um, and that we're not they're filling a vacuum They're Yeah. Great, great, <laughs> great analogy there. They're filling the vacuum yeah. and, you know, and we're going to be better coming out of this, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I think it's a lot like I could see your dad coming in and going, get up, you know, we're going to walk down the hallway We're we're going to beat this. And I think a lot of people need to hear that message. They need to hear your dad you know, talking to them saying, yeah. you know, don't, we're not going to lay down and roll over and die. We are going to, we're going to beat this. And, you know, and, and this is not just, as we said earlier, not just the, the disease, <clears throat> the COVID curve, but, you know, at home, you know, people are fighting the battles at home, the anxiety, the, yeah. you know, you've been, kids have lost their norm. I mean, I have uh, a six-year-old, she's my youngest, um, and Stacy and I were talking about this before, you know, before you joined us, your life is different for, for her. She doesn't see her kid. I mean, her friends at school, um, you know, yeah. she doesn't, she hasn't been able to quote unquote, you know, play outside with, with her friends. And then we're trying to explain it to her in a, uh, age appropriate manner, but things are just different. And, you know, we've done things with her that we would not have, you know, probably allowed in the past because just, I'm just not going to sweat the the small stuff and, and she needs mental health as much as, as we do. And it probably looks different for her. You've taught her how to sharpen a knife and how to shoot a, a you know, shotgun and you know, now, just little yeah. stuff just to keep <laughs> mind off. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. That's a very handy skill going into what we're going into being able to have a six year old sniper in the house. Very handy. That's right. You know, my dad came from really, and I, not to give you the family tree today, but um, dad came from an interesting stock. My grandmother, and you'll hear Dave talk about her too a lot on the, in the air. My grandfather and my grandmother were both very fascinating people. My family turned out like they did for a reason. I'll just put it that way. But she got leukemia back, you know, in the late 90s. And I drove up to go see her and I threw my back out. So I'm laying there in bed. She's in bed. And she didn't tell anybody she had cancer. She's, they said, we're going to give you six months to live. She looked at her and said, BS. Uh, in a very nice East Tennessee United Methodist way, uh, probably said, bless your heart, knowing her. But she lived another two years, and she traveled, and she experienced life. But when she was laying there in bed, and I was laying there in bed, and she said, yeah, I remember the 1918 flu. And I was like, at that point, I didn't really know much about it. And I said, tell me about it. She said, oh, everybody was terrified. It was scary because people were dying. I said, nobody wanted to go in the front room, the parlor, because that's where they kept the bodies. And she's telling me this story. And I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And I said, well, how did you recover? She said, well, we just got up every day and we fed the chickens and milked the cows and did what we needed to do. And we tried to stay safe. And I said, well, how did that shape you? She said, well, that didn't really shape me that much. She said the depression wasn't a lot of fun. And then World War II. And I said, she said, imagine putting your dad to bed when he's six 
thinking what kind of world that he, you know, he's bringing him into, just like you're feeling right now. I mean, December 7th, 1941, dad was six and she was tucking him in, yeah. you know? And then she said, but we survived World War II. We had to eat spam a lot. I don't like spam anymore. Um, and we couldn't go anywhere because they, you know, but she said, but then we survived, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and we survived Vietnam. You know, it's, the yeah. thing was, she's like, you're alive. She said, you're alive. Enjoy it. Yeah, you know, being afraid. and I think, you know, times like this also provide us the some of the opportunities, you know, some people may like it more than others, but some of the opportunities for us to, you know, one of the things that I was telling Stacy, this was probably two weeks ago was this is probably the first time in my life that I've been able to get up each morning. I eat breakfast with my family. I eat lunch with my family. I eat dinner with my family. We spend time together. We play games. We've put together puzzles. Um, you know, w- my oldest daughter, we kind of unleashed her. She was, she's the real creative one. <clears throat> you know, she came up with these themed dinner parties that was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, life, life prior to this was just so busy and go, 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 go. Yeah. And, you know, we have soccer and we have track and we have, you know, this concert and this performance and this and this and this and this and this and this. You know our family unit, and uh, sometimes they probably want to throw you know coke bottles at my at my head. Uh, I could probably be a little difficult <laughs> to live with sometimes. And um, but you know we've done a lot together. Uh, we've done a lot together as a family. Um, and you know, and then there's been some really cool things that have come out of it, like the the dinner parties. Um, you know, Bella Bella went around our house and kind of looked to see everything that we had already, uh, you know, that we could do dinner parties with. And then she came up with a different theme each night for, um, you know, what we were going to do. And we tried to cook, you know, the food to match the, you know, the dinner party. Um, and it was a lot of fun, you know, and those are, those are some memories. Those are, those are memories that I'll have too, that are, you know, I know there was, you said it earlier, there are the stats, there are, you know, and every death is, is not a number. It's a person. Um, but you know, hopefully the kids will grow up remembering, yeah, that was awful, but you know, but we made memories. But that's the thing. I mean, they're going to remember when they're our age, they're going to remember the dinner parties and and that's what we've got to do right now. You know, and it's hard because when, what I traveled, I was spoke down at the grand and, and, and point clear. And then I spoke in the Delta in Leland and then I spoke, I went out to attract me in Monroe, Louisiana for my son. And then I came back with a cold from all that. And then it went into my lungs and I was sleeping 16 hours a day. It was in the room. I couldn't get tested because I hadn't licked a bat in Wuhan. You know, I had every <laughs> symptom, but the, the high fever, I had a low fever, but I didn't have a high fever. So I couldn't get tested. And so the doctor put me in the bedroom away from people for, and I was freaking out because my lungs started tightening up and I started getting sicker and um, I had two relapses. It was a really, it took three weeks to shake it. And at some point, I mean, I was just, I was miserable to be around. And my wife came, came in and she was bringing food. She said, you know, you're really going to have to change your attitude a little bit. I said, I'm sick. She said, I know. And, And you're scared and you should be. She said, but your boys are watching. Yeah. And I went, you're right. That's where I have to say, I'm very lucky to be married to somebody who um, she's not going to give you a hug and say, it's okay. She's going to look at you and say, you know, Hey, you know, she's, that's how she loves. <laughs> and she's very good at that. She's, I mean, she's a great 
she's a teacher and she's great with her kids and very loving with them. But with me, she's like, you know, you need to, you know, wake up a little bit. And it, and really we have at this point now looking at, and, and I kind of had a little bit of time. I, I read, reread Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which I love that book. And, you know, I mean, it gave me a chance to kind of slow down a little bit and kind of reconnect with my faith and with, with where I want to be and who I want to be. And I started looking on Facebook and I was trying to think, what can I do to give back to other people? And I can't sing. And God knows I, my, I'm good at harmonica, but I'm not Scott Albert Johnson. I mean, I, I'm good. I can play. I'm not Fingers Taylor, but I, but that's not a skill that I want to share. But what I can do is draw. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. so I started doing coloring sheets. And they started, you know, kids started sending them back to me. And I was like, and I think all of us right now need to sit back and think, okay, the only way out of this is figuring out how we can give to help other people yeah. during this, because there's so much suffering going on, whether it's people losing somebody to COVID or somebody getting sick or somebody losing their job because they worked in the restaurant business or because they're a small business that they worked their butt off for 10 years is yep. about to go yep. under. What can we do to give of our talents and our treasure and our time to be able to make things better around us? Because I mean, it's obviously it's to help other people, but I think it helps us too in the process. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a great challenge. Cause you know, it looks different for, for everyone, you know, and there, and there may be someone sitting out there going, well, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm not Marshall Ramsey. I, I can't draw, you know, I'm not Bella Palomo. I can't come up with themed dinner parties and play the you know music. And, you know, I can't record myself on Facebook playing music to entertain folks, but maybe there's folks out there that, you know, are really good at business and they've done well. And they're right. in a period there are, they're in a situation where they have a little extra money and, you know, and it's giving to, you know, one of our, one of our friends is, um, Chef Alex Eaton uh, over at the Manship and and Aplos, yeah. and you know they're doing an awesome thing right now with you know providing meals to healthcare workers. So you know, yeah. there's folks they're out right there. across the street. So yeah, that's why right. Not? <clears throat> that's right. You know, and and it's kind of it's been kind of cool to see how everyone has kind of come out, and you know, people are are you know are helping neighbors. They're you know they're doing things. I've seen you know a lot, and I I say I've seen I've read a lot of you know the the millennials who always get you know the bad rep for this war with the quote unquote boomers you know are are going and getting groceries for you know folks that are in those yeah. high risk categories and delivering them to their house and you know places like New York and and other places and it's kind of cool to see all that come together yeah so people do have gifts that they can give and it I think you're right it is it it's a double whammy you know you help someone else but it really you know you're helping yourself stay sane and feel like oh, I, I've just decided I'm going to correct every single person on Facebook. That's good. <laughs> well, please, please don't start on to... my page because uh, Stacy can attest that I am the master of uh, grammatical errors or leaving words out of sentences that in my head, I make the complete sentence and on paper, I leave words out. <laughs> so don't start. Well, that me. was, some, that was something about the second weekend of me not feeling well that I, I decided that maybe I should just give that up because I, I just discovered that my mental health probably was more important. And, and, you know, I always use this analogy if, if, and excuse the, the crassness, the language, but it's, it's, it's required. If you're by a stream and a turd floats by, you don't have to reach out and grab it. You can let it float on by. You can let it float by. And, and, um, 
But you know, I mean, seriously, going back to the Facebook thing and everybody, you can see it. Everybody is, there's five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yeah. And everybody is going through that right now. Everybody has lost something, whether it is your high school senior who's lost their prom and their, and their graduation, whether it is somebody who's been sick or lost a loved one to this disease or somebody's lost a paycheck, everybody is losing something. And it's like, this is the time when we're really going to have to, on, on a personal front, have to really get to that acceptance mode and figure out what we're going to do next. But we also have to have the empathy mode. And you were talking about, well, I don't have the ability to draw or do whatever. And you listed off some really great ones, but it can be as simple as writing. And I stole this one from Andy Stoddard, who's at um, St. Matthew's Methodist Church. Uh -huh. But he writes three notes to people every day. That's awesome. You know, just little stuff. Just because when, when we're so quarantined into the house, that house starts closing in around you. And if you get a note from somebody saying how much they care about you, that's powerful. Mind on My Money is also brought to you by the refrigeration company. TRC is owned and operated by Jeremy Watler, who's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive. Their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration, but work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. TRC can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at therefridgeco.com. You can also follow TRC at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. The podcast also brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience and with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, and all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. With sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, ultimately saving the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. It's EliteDentalCare.com, or you can follow them on Instagram and or Facebook. Hey, guys, it's, yeah, it's Stacy. Marshall, thanks for, for being on. We really appreciate it. Um, let me ask you guys something. I'm going to change gears just a little bit, and it's been 
great everything you're talking about. I'm kind of choking up. Um, but but where do we go from here? I mean, as we start to open the country back up, and Martin and I were talking about this a little earlier sure. before you got on, Marshall. Would you go to a restaurant next week if they open things up? Would you go to the dentist? Y'all talk about where you're at with that because I think a lot of people are going through that right now, right? Yeah. I mean, we're still scared, but we're getting frustrated. Um, we're tired of just being at home all the time. We want sports. We want to be able to go and hang out with our buddies at the bars or at church or, or sure. wherever. So y'all take a minute and speak to that. Sure. You know, I mean, I'll go ahead and start. Um, would I go to a restaurant right now? No. And I love going to restaurants. My wife, my family, we eat out all the time and I probably wouldn't go right now. It would take a while. Um, I don't think that we're going to totally get back to quote unquote normal until there's a vaccine or at least a treatment. That said, I'm not going to sit in my house for the rest of my life. I'm going to find ways to go and do things. Um, I've got some buddies I run with. I, I'm still recovering from not being, I, I ran nine miles before I got sick. I'm walking one to two now. I'm still getting my lungs back online. But, um, you know, we, we will figure this out. Um, there will probably be sports, you know, but nobody in the stadium. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be surreal until they figure out a way to do this. But like we mentioned earlier, after 9-11, you know, I didn't think we did, hell, who was going to get back on an airplane, yeah. you know? Um, but we figured it out. We armored the cockpit doors, and, and we'll find some way of doing it. I mean, we may be running around with masks on. And, yeah, I'll probably go to the dentist just because I don't want to have, you know, cavities because tooth pain's worse than COVID, I think. Don't really want to deal with that. And God knows I don't want to have <laughs> you know, because you talk about social distancing. My wife would never get near me. But... <laughs> You know, this is going to be hard. I mean, like I said, they can throw everything open, and there's going to be some people that go because they don't believe this is a real threat or real problem. And, you know, I wish them luck, and I'll pray for their health, and I hope that there's hospital beds. But until we can figure out totally the plan, it's just going to be incremental. We're going to, like, stick our toe in the water, and we're going, okay, this is okay, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to do that and do that. And it's going to be hard. I mean, it's tough on businesses. But I've been really proud Watch, I had on – on my show, I had um, Leslie Holloman, who's um, owns Fleet Feet here in Jackson, mm -hmm. and I had Richard um, Coworth, who owns uh, Square Books up in Oxford, talking about how they're adapting and how they're changing. You know, and you you listen to them, and you you know you can hear frustration, but every day they're trying something different. And they're trying to create a, a community experience because. At the end of the day, that's what makes a lot of businesses what they are. It's because you can get anything you want to on the internet for cheap. Yep. Well, not as much now. But a lot of us like to go shop for the experience. We like to have all five of our senses tickled. Well, if you can't go hang out with your buddies or go go into a store and get customer service, then how do you how do you replicate that in this new existence? So that's a very long answer to say that it's going to be gradual. Um, and we'll get back to it. I mean, you know, 1918 flu, hell, it killed 25-year-olds who were healthy. It killed them in three days, you know. But eventually, after the third wave of flu came through, then eventually it, it kind of went away and, and turned more mild. And we'll figure this out. But it's it's um, until then, it's going to be day by day. Yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, I have – Stacy asked me that question <laughs> – 
uh, <clears throat> earlier too. And, and, uh, you know, my answer was to Stacy was, um, you know, I, w- I would get back out for, you know, to go places and, and do things. And I have, and one thing I didn't mention on the show, Marshall, but you know, some of our listeners that, uh, that have been with us listening for a while know. So my mother lives with me. I moved her in with us probably, uh, it was probably three, almost four years ago. And, okay. um, she's, she's still relatively young. I mean, she's 72. Um, and she, but she does have, you know, uh, th- she fits three of the categories that are, you know, the higher risk, um, categories. And so we've been very, very careful about what we've done just because I don't want to bring, I don't want to import, you know, COVID into right. our house and then she gets sick. And then I'd be like, you know, was that, was that sushi worth, you know, right. getting her sick? Um, but you know, if I, I would, I, I would go back out, um, and start, you know, and start, going to restaurants, but only if I, I think I would, I would be very cautious about it. You know, I would need some assurances, even if it's just a, even if it was a placebo, you know, I would need those assurances that, Hey, we are really focused on, you know, your experience and we are not trying to risk, you know, your health. So, you know, we've put, you know, these plexiglass between tables so that, you know, there's separation and there's six feet of, you know, I would want to see those things. And we kind of had the conversation of my favorite place in the world to go. And Stacy's probably tired of hearing me say this is to Disney world. Um, yeah. Cause like I, I go there and it's, I get to be a kid. It's the place where it is, it is a hundred percent socially acceptable for, you know, a 37 year old man to act like a five year old and, and, and everyone is okay with it. And I love it. Yeah. It usually gets you like, you know, thrown in jail. Yeah, normally it would, or in a locked up in a, you know, in a, in an institution, um, you know, but it's, it's, uh, my inner child used to come out. Oh, wait a minute. I draw cartoons. So yeah, never mind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of the questions yeah. that they had was, would you, you know, would you go to Disney right now? And yeah. my answer was, yeah, I probably would. Um, and I know that different folks have different, uh, <laughs> you know, and Disney's not even open for, for me to go. Um, but you know, there's, I think it is a very personal decision for, for each family too. And, you know, there's going to be the, you have, there's one of the things I think has happened through, uh, through this health crisis too, is you have, um, so many polar opposite views too. And it's, and it's like, um, you know, and it's not just that there's a minority that's one way and and the vast majority is the other. It's, it feels, and I may be, maybe, uh, I'm wrong, but it feels like there's a lot of folks that are on both that are, you know, equally on both sides of, you know, Hey, we should have never shut down and we should keep going. And then there's the folks saying, you know, we should stay sheltered in place through August. Um, and you know, and I realized right. like the real, probably the solution is smack in the middle of more <laughs> in the middle, you know, of well, all of, I mean, of all you, of that. you look at, you look at, and, and we'll never do this, but I mean, what, how South Korea handled it and even Vietnam, I mean, we're not South Korea, Vietnam, look at New Zealand, New Zealand has no cases. And I mean, we're eventually, they'll have to figure out technology wise, A, they're going to have to check for temperatures, like going in the building, that yeah. kind of thing. That's no different than using metal detectors going into to places. And right. they're going to have to do um, te- more testing so that we have an eye because what's killing us and what's killing the economy is the unknown. Yeah. Uncertainty. Because after nine 11, we saw the enemy, we saw the enemy come in and we rallied around it and we united. 
this is unseen. We have no idea. You know, and then on top of that, the, what's so sinister about this virus is that so many people haven't have no symptoms and yep. they're out there spreading it. Yep. So it's like, well, I'm not sick. You know, well, you probably are sick and you might be giving it to other people, but you don't know it. And so that that and because there has been a divide in what because now the, the media has imploded. Sure. You know, we don't have Uncle Walter anymore. You know, <laughs> Uncle Walter had his faults. Don't get me wrong, but we don't have that unified voice. We have now you can get whatever you believe in, whatever you want to hear yep. with that media. And I, so we're now in our own little reality bubbles, too. Yeah. And I, so that's that's been a challenge. And I, I totally agree with what you what you're saying as well with, you know, that, that there ha it's almost whatever you believe in, you can hear, um, you know, from the the media. And it's been very politicized as well. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, one we of, have an election. Yes, I mean, we, we have do. an election coming up. So and, that's and the crazy thing is we haven't really even been talking about politics as a country and in an election year when the only thing that should realistically be the headlines of the news you know for the next several months is is this election right and we have talked almost right we should be vetting the candidate yeah we've yeah. talked almost zero about it you know and one of the things that uh that that kind of um you know strikes me as 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 an awesome thing about mississippi as well is you know our i didn't really know where i stood with how our um our response, Mississippi's response to this was because I didn't, I just didn't have data. I didn't have any information, and and I'm a data junkie, and um, yeah, I'd hope know, so. One of the <laughs> right, you want your you want your financial well, just, advisor to be interested in numbers and data and research. I just do it from my gut. <laughs> it's a shoot, we shoot from the hip at Pinnacle. No, I'm just kidding. We don't yeah, shoot exactly. from the hip at Pinnacle. Um, but you know, one hey, of the things, Martin, yeah, go I for was it. Gonna say, um. Talking about media and talking about Mississippi before we run out of time. Yeah. I know our listeners want to hear about Mississippi today. Marshall, can you tell us about about that? Yeah, it um we were formed, oh gosh, it seems like two years ago, three years ago now. Anyway, we're under a similar model, the nonprofit model, very similar to the group out of Texas called the Texas Tribune. And what happened with them out in Texas was with newspapers you know, with declining revenue and with the layoffs. And I went through like 14 rounds of layoffs at the Clarion Ledger. So, I mean, it's, it's been pretty brutal. Um, they wanted to create something that were able to bring in people to, to provide kind of stopgap coverage, particularly a statehouse coverage, because usually that's the first person to get laid off as a statehouse reporter. And so a group of folks put together Mississippi Today, you know, one of one of our one of our board members and is Jim Barksdale, for instance, um, you know, and so we have a lot of good grownups on our board. We have a lot of good media people and so forth, as I like to call them. But we basically, we've got a newsroom of, we've got 20 people that work here, and which is pretty good size uh, for media groups. And we're able to do longer deep dive journalism. And it, it's it's been an interesting experiment. And, and, and we kind of view ourselves as being collaborators, not competitors to a lot of the other local media. So like you'll see our reports in, in the Daily Journal up in Tupelo and we share stuff and we're going to, my cartoons are going to be getting out to different papers in, in around the area, but it, it's been fun. And I was at the Clarion Ledger for a long time and loved it. Um, had a great career there and, and I turned down a couple jobs to stay there. Loved it. I got made part-time in 2010. Um, I had to hit, listen to dad's 
you know, <laughs> grab the rope thing because I had to reinvent myself. And I started doing radio shows. And then I left that radio show and I'm now MPB doing a radio show. And I do a television show there too. And I learned skills that I didn't know I had. But I like, I, I took the job here as editor at large because now, because I love to go out and talk to people. As you can tell, I don't shut up. <laughs> but I mean, I like to go talk and, and it allows me to go talk about some of the things that we do here. And we've, we're very lucky. Um, some of our reporters are very, very sharp. And, and one of our medical reporter has really, uh, Erica has taken up the, just the baton and run with it with this COVID because she's able to really do deep dive stuff on the numbers and to get a better understanding on it. And, you know, I was talking to one source and they said, you know, we're getting more information out of what you're doing than even from what we're doing here in our own department. So, uh, and I think that's so important for this because we've got to understand why we're having to make the sacrifices we're making on the media front. And, you know, people, and people have different ideas of what the media is. For most people, they think that what they see Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow, that that's the media. What is the media? But really what, what I'm do with Mississippi today is what, and what I'm worried about is local media, people that are telling our story. Yeah. Because uh, that's what's important. And in a lot of small papers around Mississippi, and I, and I do a lot of work with the Mississippi Press Association, they're some of the finest people that I've ever met in the state. And they're struggling right now because, as you can imagine, advertising revenue is drying up. So, um, and, and, you know, I mean, kudos to the reporters are out there when everybody else was hunkered down there, like everybody else are out there doing their job and, and they've done a good job. But yeah, th th that's what my role is in Mississippi today. And I really enjoy that. I still do the cartoons. I'm doing a coloring sheet every day for uh, around Mississippi. So you can go to MississippiToday.org and you can look and find where your hometown probably, because I've done everything from Soso to Meridian to to Oxford, to the Delta, to Vicksburg. To, so I'm trying to cover the coast. You know, I'm doing tomorrow's is going to be BB King and I'll have him in front of Indian Olin's coloring sheet. So, because like I said, I wanted to figure out what I could do to give and I'm doing a coloring sheet every day based on my children's book, Banjo's Dream also. So um, that's a very long answer on the media front, but what we're doing on the radio show is I'm trying to find people that are, that have got stories about how they're getting past this in a positive way too because there's so much negative and, and people like you said are so divided but what i i want us to do and, I, and you said we usually come around to it if we can work together on this and this is i mean this is where i'm probably naive because i know people are going to scream at each other on facebook and i'm I get <laughs> yeah. that. but at the end of the day that ain't gonna get ain't gonna put food on the dinner on the dinner table mm -hmm. and we got to figure out how to get past this and I'm like you I want to go back out to the restaurant I want that experience I miss people God I do miss sports I mean I don't like pre high definition television sports showing up on my screen because everything's blurry yep you know thank God for the Michael Jordan documentary <laughs> I mean that, amen I mean ah oh, you know hell I'm I mean we're making we're, we're playing golf mini golf in the middle of the house we're trying to figure out things to do you know so uh, who'd ever thought I'd ever miss going to an SEC football game, you know? Yeah. You know, Marshall, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, you, over the years, you've touched so many people's lives with your cartoons and in, in mm -hmm. so many wonderful ways. Well, what would you say are two or three of your, of your most memorable cartoons? You know, I mean, on the positive side, um, the stuff I did after nine 11, uh, you know, that was the first time I was a Pulitzer finalist. And so 
But it's funny, I wasn't Pulitzer finals for that. I was Pulitzer finals from flag cartoons, and those got me death threats. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, gosh. I got death threats on the day I was diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, I was like, hey, I laughed when the doctor called me. He said, why are you laughing? That's the nicest call I've ever had. Thank you. I appreciate it. Best one I've had all day. The 9-11 cartoons were meant a lot to people. The the Katrina cartoons, obviously, because, you know, I was down working like everybody else down on the coast. And I was really proud of the state of Mississippi. And I have a chainsaws and casseroles theory that if you get in a disaster, there's going to be a church van in your front yard full of people with chainsaws and casseroles. And that's what makes us great here in Mississippi. So I think those cartoons kind of, that was the second time I was Pulitzer finals. They told me, they said, if I'd been, lived where the hurricane hit, I would have won the Pulitzer. Wow. <laughs> that bothers me. Um, although I wasn't on the coast. I mean, granted, you know, right. it did hit here. Uh, and then the Barbara Bush cartoon a couple of years ago, that, yep. And that one was important, not because, I mean, it was neat getting, I spoke at the Bush Library. I mean, the family wrote me thank you notes. Uh, Jenna talked about on the Today Show. I had Savannah Hoda saying I was the sweetest, most kind man in the world, which my wife said that's the biggest bunch of I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that was very surreal. But what was so amazing about that was I started hearing from people who'd lost their children. And they not only said, oh, we like the cartoon, they told me, your cartoon brought me hope. This is what happened. I lost my child at five when he was hit by a car or I lost my 18 year old to cancer or, and I know that I'm going to see my daughter someday or my son again. And that just reminded me And this, I think going back to what we're going through right now is I've done 6,000 something cartoons since I've been here. Hell, probably 5,000 of them are crap, to be honest with you. I mean, I probably, I couldn't tell you what I drew. I was just glad to get out of the office that day. But to have a handful of them be able to make a difference in somebody's lives, you know, we're all artists. We all wake up every morning with a blank canvas and we have, you know, our attitude or the, or the colors we use and our efforts or our brushstrokes. We have an ability to create something every day that can make a difference in somebody's life. Do I do it every day? No. I mean, I, I admit, I only did it twice with those Bush cartoons, but I was able to make a meaningful difference with something I did. And I think every day we have that opportunity. And right now we really have got to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with what that was. What's one of the things Stacy and I were talking about probably yesterday too, about with, with the thing your, your talent, especially with your drawings is you were able to like invoke or draw the emotion like people can. And I, and I was immediately, I thought of the Barbara Bush cartoon when I was <clears throat> talking to Stacy and it's just, you look at it and they're really, you know, it's a little girl running to her mom, you know, saying, you know, like mommy and, and it, it, yeah. it you just, you nailed it. And, and, and man, and, and that was probably, you know, I know that, for me, sometimes the best things that I do are not when I'm trying to contrive something. It just happens. And I could, I mean, and I may, yeah. I have not heard your story about this and you may say, no, nah, dude, I, that's, I was trying to get there, but I just, I imagine when you were drawing that you were just all in your fills and, and that's what came out on the paper. And I may be totally wrong about that. Um, but it's weird because it's, you know, I mean, it's, first of all, let me say this. I mean, I'm, as much of a normal guy as anybody. I mean, I fart, I like beer, I, I play golf, I like shooting guns. I mean, I'm, I'm a normal human being. Yeah. I grew up and, and like I said, my mom and dad were really good people and they did the best they could at everything they did. My mom had cancer when I was, how old was I? Oh God, I was maybe nine, 
10, something like that. And it was bad. And she did not handle it well. And she struggled and she had some things that, let's just put this way. I can tell when I walk into a room, I can tell everybody's mood when I walk in the room. And that's growing up and just because I never knew when mom was going to explode. Sure. And, um, and, and, and I say that because um, she was very beautiful and loving and smart and intelligent, but she struggled. And, and I hate that. And, 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 but that said, for some reason, I can, I've got this empathy thing where I can read people and see things and it's not manipulative. It's just how I'm wired. And so when something, I can be as big a smart ass as there is on the planet. I hope I can say that. Yeah, but, yeah. And that's how I roll. But then again, if I can tell when somebody's struggling through stuff and, and what the Bush thing, what hit me about her was here, she had everything. I mean, you talk about somebody of privilege. You know, she came from a rich family. She married into a rich family. She had a platform of her own. Her husband was a president. Her son was a president. She was, you know, she helped people reach. She did everything, but she lost a child. Yeah. And that is the worst thing a parent can suffer from. And, I, and I've got a very good friend who lost his son, and he's still not right from it. And I, and I got that. And so I had read John Meacham's excellent Bush uh, biography and so i knew of robin's thing and i figured everybody would have picked up on that and i was the only person to do it and what i didn't understand when i did that cartoon was the fact that george w bush was sitting talking to his mama about robin because it affected him too because he was her older brother and they were talking about that and so i just happened to catch lightning in a bottle that i didn't realize at that time and and so i i don't know you know, I, I not to sound hokey. I'm I am very I'm very much a pray in the closet kind of guy when it comes to my faith. But I have a very strong faith. Though there there are sometimes when ideas are God moments. Yeah. And, and you know they come from the 9/11 cartoons were that way. The Katrina cartoons were that way. And it's just maybe because my radar's up because of all the hell that's going on around me. I don't know if I've done that with this with COVID because honestly I feel like I've been you know, trapped in the house and insulated and I'm trying to, you know, work through my own, you know, I'm going through the five stages like everybody else. You know, I mean, I bounce from anger to depression to acceptance. That's what I'm doing right now. You know, I'm trying not to do the anger because I'm, I'm not a very nice person when I'm angry and depression doesn't serve me at all. So I'm trying to say, okay, this is what I, I hate the saying. It is what it is. I hate that saying, but it is what it is. Indeed. I mean, this, this, the business, this is all happening because one little strand of RNA and we can all sit there and say, well, it's this person's fault or this person's fault or this person's fault. And you know what? There will come a time for that reckoning right now. Hell, we got to get busy and we got to figure it out. And I'm praying every night for the, the smart people with the white coats that are either a taking care of our butts or B trying to figure out a way for us to get past this, yep. you know, and that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think you're alone at all. Uh, you know, I, it's funny how, you know, I've seen a lot on Facebook too, about the, um, the shift of, of the quote unquote heroes, right. Where, you know, and it's kind of a little bit tongue in cheek where people are being smart asses saying, you know, Hey, we haven't, you know, no one's praising the celebrities right now. Everyone's, you know, praising the yeah. truck drivers, the, you know, our medical field, our, you know, guys, the men who are picking up our, our garbage, the, you know, the male folks, all of the, ordinary Americans that are keeping us running. And then you have the guys that are really, and I say guys, I mean folks that are really fighting 
on the front lines, you know, the medical staff, whether they're in a lab trying to figure out how to beat this thing or they're in the hospital trying to figure out how to keep you, you know, keep you alive and healthy. Um, and keep themselves alive and healthy. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and I imagine there's probably a lot of, uh, a min of, of, of emotional, uh, wars that go on with, within doctors, you know, worrying about coming home and, you know, and keeping well, it out there's of their the one house. in New York killed herself, you know, it's just, um, I mean, it's tough. They're going, they're working long hours. And the thing is there's been, because this, this thing has hit other parts of the country harder than it's hit here yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, Somebody said, well, it's not the apocalypse. I said, it is if you're in New York City. Yeah. Then thank, thank, thanks be to God that it's, it's been bad here, but it's not been what, you know, because the fact that I think that we caught it when we did, then we haven't been overwhelmed because Lord knows you don't want the hospitals in Mississippi to be overwhelmed. I mean, they're, they're right. kind of struggling as is. Yeah, so, and a lot of rural hospitals have been, you know, shut down in the last several years. Um, you know, that was one yeah. of the things, you know, thankfully it was a little late here, so we kind of got a head start. And then you know, kudos to UMC, the leadership Amen. there, the team there yeah. for, you know, figuring out, Hey, we're not going to wait on the federal government to give us tests. We're going to build our own. And that was one of the stats that I was so proud, you know, Mississippi usually is the leader in all the bad stuff. And I was so proud, <laughs> um, you know, when, when our governor was on MSNBC and, you know, and was toting, you know, Hey, we are, we've tested more people per capita than, you know, any other state that didn't get resources, uh, you know, four times that of per capita of South Korea, you know, we're finally leading, we're, we're leading in this fight in some cases. And that's, that's great. Like, it's so good to have, and I, you know, my chest pumped up and I got real, uh, you know, yeah. full of pride because Mississippi, we always kind of get, we're like the, you know, the afterthought, we're the, as you said earlier, if I can use your phrase, we're the fart in the elevator, right? Um, and it's, no, it's, 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 we're not that bad. <laughs> it's Trust nice. Me. It's nice to be the leader but, in something good. Yeah. Well, here's something, and you, you touched on something really important. And, I, and I've been very lucky with the Pulitzer final stuff and, and, you know, the Barbara Bush thing got a lot of praise, but you know, one thing I can tell you for, for a fact, if you do something good on national stage, People in Mississippi are very proud of that because yeah. they like to have something good. And I think, and that's the thing that one thing we do have some things and it's okay. I think people are like, well, only positive Mississippi spoken here. No, I don't agree with that. I think that you need to address that your, your problems and you need to be very upfront about it and you need to own them. But I also think too, that we've got so much to be proud of here. Yeah. We have the great storytellers. We have the great, it's a beautiful state. We have, we have leadership to come. We have so many stories that should be told. And that's one thing I've always enjoyed because I do on the TV show and on the radio show, I'm able to tell those stories yeah. because I think that that's important for, and, and particularly right now, you need to hear, okay, Bobby Rush was coming down with COVID symptoms, but he's doing better. Yay. You know, instead of, cause you need to hear about the grandmother who, who's, who's, you know, whose son built the grocery store so that she could go shopping. And you need to hear those, you need to hear about UMC, you know, finding a way to do testing. And, yeah. and you need to hear about the group of ladies up at Lake Caroline that created masks. And because we got it, we got to have that kind of hope to be able to pull us through because otherwise we're going to be in a fetal position. And that's not how, I mean, that's not how, how we need to do this. No, I, 
I, I totally agree. I mean, and that's, you know, I used your phrase in a couple of shows ago um, at the chainsaws and casseroles. And that's how yeah. we show up, man. When, uh, when there's something bad and that, and I think the chainsaws and casseroles is a great, you know, analogy for Mississippi because yeah. the men show up to, to work and the women show up to work and it is a, <clears throat> it's a joint effort. It's not a, you know, we, we as Mississippians are very resilient and, you know, unfortunately, especially you think about the last kind of three weekends, we've had crazy tornadoes, you know, oh my gosh, all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff that happened. And in the middle of all of the already craziness that, that exists and, and we just show up and we show out. I mean, there was one of my buddies, um, he is, uh, you know, he has, he does, uh, school assemblies. That's what he, that's what he normally does for really Well, he's not doing school assemblies right now. So mm-hmm. he, he took his trailer and gathered up people donated, you know, roofing nails, they donated tarps, they donated all kinds of stuff. And he drove supplies down to, um, you know, to the, to the Bassfield area to, um, to apprentice to, you know, just be there to yeah. help because, because he's not in schools doing school assemblies, um, you know, right now. And it's, yeah, that's Mississippi. And that's, Amen. that's what's wonderful about our state. And, you know, when the going gets tough, man, we, we show up and show out. Well, it's been, it's been hard. Like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, when you're stuck in your bedroom for a week and a half on doctor's orders, you know, and I mean, you can only, I, I think I've gotten all the way through Netflix, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I saw your, we, we didn't touch on Ozark season three and I won't spoil it for those that haven't. I tell you what, I'm still chewing on the last two episodes. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Those were Jason Bateman is he's done a great job with that show and I'll leave it at you that. Know, and I, I will say this. Um, he is a director. I mean, I've always liked him as an actor. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was great in, in Dodgeball. And I mean, he just always always plays that everyman character yep. really well. My wife and loves him. In, in, in Ozark, because he was smart enough as executive producer to surround himself with Ruth and with Darlene and with all these crazy type characters. We, and there are we such by the way, have convinced characters. our dog sounds like, yeah, um, we, we've convinced that that's what our dog sounds like. It sounds like Darlene. <laughs> Darlene, she no, my back God. She's got the same personality, and it's like she's a terrier, and she's like, you know, shut your F-nugget mouth. Yep. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, like, trying to, you know, we use, we use cleaned up, dar, dar, I mean, Ruthisms in the house, but um, that really was good, and Tiger King was so off the charts. Um, I haven't I just, watched Tiger King yet. Um, that's my, my wife is – my wife – so, uh, that's kind of my wife and I, we are polar opposites in you know, kind of our tastes and interests. And, um, it's <laughs> funny, I'm, I'm an extreme extrovert. She, I wear her out. She's very introverted. She likes, you know, her time, but our thing that we yeah. do together is watch shows. That's our, and I'm the, you know, if you do the love language test, I'm the acts of service and physical touch. So I like to be cuddled up right next to her. And she's like, uh, get away from me. She's a cat and I'm a Labrador retriever, uh, or, you know, or, right. or any, or I get that. so, you know, like that's, that's our personality types. And, um, man, so she kind of laughed because of course, you know, my, my first name is Martin. I'm a financial advisor. And when we watched Ozark season one, and then, <laughs> so my family is Cuban and she always <laughs> messed with me that we were, you know, that, She's like, you're not from Cuba. You're, you guys are Mexican. And I'm like, no, we're Cuban. And she's like, no, you're Mexican. And then, so, you know, this, this show is unfolding and she's, you know, we're watching Marty bird, who's a financial advisor. And 
you know, and gets into trouble with, <laughs> with the Mexican cartel. And she's like, are they writing your story? I'm like, no, they are. <laughs> I've never, I've never met a Mexican cartel member. You know, the thing that amazes me about Marty is Marty can talk his way out of anything. Anything. Absolutely. And I would, I would have been dead within 15 minutes. Of the first episode. I would have, to, I would have shot my mouth off and made somebody mad and they would have just popped me and I'd be done. It would have been one episode. Yep. And what's bizarre for for Amy and I is, you know, Amy and I are very similar in personality, what you're talking about. And we we sometimes vary on, you know, because she likes to watch like 90 Day Fiance. And I'm like, I am not going to watch that <laughs> garbage, you know. And so uh, I'll be in there watching a World War II documentary. And so yep. that, sometimes we bump into that. But the thing about Ozark is so fun for us is we grew up on the lakes that they used to film that. Oh, in, in Georgia. Atlanta. Yeah. So we grew up and we grew up in Marietta, but yeah. I mean, she... Her family grew up on Lake Lanier and, and boated on there, and I boated on Alatoona. And so, like, the bar is right near Little River. It's, I mean, it's, it was a bar, and a friend of mine's son plays guitar in it. They closed it, and they turned it into a set. But So it's really weird to watch it because I'm like, oh, yeah, there's, that's, that's in Chamblee. That's in, yeah, that's in Georgia. Yeah, so I know where everything is. But, awesome. yeah, it's good, it's good stuff. So, um, Well, I know um, I appreciate your time. I, I, we're kind of bumping up. We're a little over an hour. I have I have one burning desire question that I have to ask, and it's not a it's not a gotcha or anything like that. Okay. So, when once everything is kind of uh, I'm not going to say normal when our when when life has has continued on and you're able to travel somewhere, I tell me where would you go inside the U.S. and where would you go outside of the U.S. We have got a trip planned in May, which we're going to have to reschedule that we, we take our kids on a trip every year. We've taken them to London. We took them to Scotland and we took them to New York, to Chicago, to Washington, D.C. twice. We, we under the theory that for them to truly appreciate Mississippi, they need to see the rest of the world because yep. then they understand what's good about the rest of the world and what's good about Mississippi. And so that, that plan has worked. Um, we, my son, my middle son, who will be a senior next year, has said he wanted to go out to California. And, you know, we lived in San Diego, but Amy and I never got up to San Francisco. I've been to San Francisco, but she hadn't. So we're going to go to San Francisco, Monterey. Um, we're going to go to oh, El, El Capitan, Yosemite. Yeah. We're going to go there and we're going to do that. And so that's the end of the state. We're going to go. I mean, first place that I go probably will be up to the Smokies to go hiking. Awesome. I mean, I, 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 I want to go up to the Mount Kamir fire tower. That's where, that's my first hike that I'm going to do. Um, would really like to go to, um, I wouldn't mind going back to England. I really liked England a lot, but I'd like to go to Paris and then go to Normandy. My wife went with her mom last year to Normandy on a river cruise. One of those things, she's Viking river cruise yeah. things. And um, she got brought me back some sand from Normandy awesome. and both my great uncles were there on D day. So I want, awesome. I want to go and, and, you know, celebrate them because they were, they were two pretty cool guys. So that's my two big trips. Awesome. And I just have to ask because it's like, it's kind of a little thing I've started doing is, you know, maybe it's that hope piece of, you know, Hey, where are you going to go once all this thing is over and look, we can look at something, have something to look forward to versus, you know, as you said, being in the, the fetal position now. So actually I'm going to Vicksburg right after this. So oh, that's going to be my first <laughs> That's the first time I've driven more than like two miles in, in the last month and a half. So this will be interesting. Well, man, safe travels uh, on the Thank way you. to Vicksburg. And I really appreciate, you know, you spending some time with us um, this morning. And, and um, man, it's, I, I know you're a busy man and, and probably in high demand. So I really do appreciate, appreciate your time. 
Oh, thank yeah, you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you. Oh, you appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm sorry, I kind of probably got chatty today, but it's nice talking to other people. <laughs> yeah, no, no, man. I mean, that's, that's kind of the beauty of the podcasting format it is, is it's best when it's conversational versus, uh, you know, like an interrogation. Um, so <laughs> it's, you know, it's awesome. Well, for me, Martin Palomo and our guest today, Marshall Ramsey, uh, thank you listeners for your time and we will be back next week.